0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming and becoming a Sangha. We've just finished the grasses and trees and great earth seshin, which we do in August because it usually doesn't rain in August, and that means we can go outside and sit. So we spend quite a bit of time doing walking meditation and seated meditation outside, including outside at night in the forest and this month it was almost the dark of the moon the first few nights it was very very dark the darkest actually that I think I've experienced in one of these machines in the in the woods which um, makes for some amusement and if you go into the woods when it's a little bit lighter, and you can see where you're going, and you've been there during the day, and so you're quite comfortable sitting down. And then it gets darker and darker, and then dark, and then very dark, impenetrably dark. And then it's time to come back, and you have no idea where you are or how to get out. So there's a fair amount of crashing around in the woods, so. and in one case, searching, searching for someone. <laughs> but it's really fun. So we practice sitting on the earth. And appreciating the gifts that come from the earth. For example, if you look around yourself, uh, those who weren't in Sachin, you look around here, everything that is in this room, can you find one thing in this room that hasn't come from the earth? So we look at the wood of the podium, came from the earth. Paper, came from the earth. Plastic, petroleum product, came from dead plants compressed in the earth brought out of the Earth and turned into plastic. Um, ceramic vessels, glass vessels, metal, all from the earth. bamboo floor from the Earth. sand inside the floor, from the Earth. Mm-hmm. Of course, all the food that we eat. So we did a meditation on or brought our awareness to eating, taking in the gifts of the Earth, which then become our body which then pass through our bodies sooner at times and later at times depending on what they are and then go back into the earth and eventually we go back into the earth. So we looked at the fact that we're just a collection of energy, a temporary collection of energy that's bonded together in one place, roughly in one place, moves around, changes continuously and then eventually when cause and effect can't hold it together anymore disintegrates and goes back into the earth. So we sat on the earth and appreciated the earth's gifts.
1: And then we worked with
0: earth in our hands, literally, we did clay work. So we were touching touching the earth and molding the earth into statues of Jizo Bodhisattva. And you can see the collection of statues in the cafeteria if you haven't seen them yet. They're all Very unique and very lovely uh, manifestation of the division bodies of, of Jizo. I didn't talk about this during Sashin. But Jizo is said to have the ability to transform into anything that would be helpful to enlighten people, to awaken people. So Jizo can transform into a mountain, can transform into a small child, can transform into a king, can transform into grasses, into a rock... And there are many enlightenment stories, of course, of people being enlightened by a pebble striking bamboo or the sight of a peach blossom. All of those are considered transformation bodies of Jizo Bodhisattva. Always available, always ready to help us awaken. We have to be interested in becoming awakened and then open to the information that's coming towards us or the help that's coming towards us in many different forms. So, when we see this little army of Jesus that we made in the cafeteria, recognize they're all transformation bodies of Jesus Bodhisattva, as are all of us. And that we're creating an army for peace. All the nations, it seems, in the world, except for Costa Rica and Iceland, I think, Greenland, have, are creating armies, busy, 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 busy creating army, armies to define the Piece of land they temporarily call their own, or or to uh, protect their religion, or protect the gold in their ground, or you know that piece of earth that they have put these artificial stakes around and said this is this is mine, and you don't get to have any of it. So all around the world, people are creating armies with very deadly weapons. So what can we do? What can we do about that? We, we have no control over what happens in Afghanistan or, or Iraq or in the African countries that are creating armies. We don't have control over that. We can't, we can't vote in those countries. The only control we have, and barely, is over our own state of mind. The place, the place that we can create an island of peace is within ourselves. And then, of course, that spreads to those around us. So sitting here for a week, creating islands of peace, or at least sometimes islands of peace within our body, mind, and heart. And then joining together as we walk from place to place and chanting the Jizo mantra. It's very lovely. It really gives us the feeling of becoming an army for peace. Because we have a choice of doing nothing or doing something with what we can do something with, which is ourselves. Entropy being what it is, if we don't work for peace, then everything will inevitably deteriorate and get worse. So we have to keep working for peace against what seem like unsurmountable odds in the world. But the world we cannot control. We can work within our own world, our own universe inside. So please go and look at the jizos that we created, Transformation Bodies of Jizo Bodhisattva, People worked very earnestly on them, even people who were quite afraid. For some people, this was their first grasses and trees session, and they were surprised by what we did, and I do these things on purpose because I know they will bring up fear, fear of being in the dark, the unknown sounds in the dark, coyotes howling, we don't know how far away they are, and Although we're told that there are no poisonous snakes in the forest, the mind can dream up anything. The spiders and the snakes and the coyotes and the demons in the mind are what can destroy our peace of mind, the peace in our heart. So we learn about that by sitting in the forest at night. And people described, you can talk to people at lunch, overwhelming fear, just like total panic, and then discover that this, huge black object was actually a doe and her fawn. They came right up to them and stopped and looked them in the eyes. And then this sense of peace and belonging descends. Hmm? Or fear of working with clay. Fear of, oh, I have no ability, I have no creative ability. And of course the inner critic keeps saying that you won't be able to create because it will criticize every little tiny thing you work with on your statues. So to move that fear out of the way and just enter the process of letting the clay shape itself, letting the clay tell you what it needs, letting the figure tell you what it needs. Of course, during Sashin, we're creating, co-creating, awakened beings, helping each other, supporting each other by being quiet, by sitting quietly, by... And creating this container of practice so that everyone can do with practice what they would not be able to do on their own. We cannot do this kind of practice on our own. I always say peer pressure is a strong Dharma tool. It keeps us sitting longer than we would sit. It keeps us sitting through pain we would not be able to sit with on our own. So the purpose of our practice is to create health, actually to restore health. The health is within us. The health is within us. And of course our, our bodies are going to get sick and our bodies are going to age and our bad, bodies are going to die. But within the midst of that inevitable change, we can be healthy if our minds are healthy. So we're really working on the health of the mind. restoring the health of the mind, restoring the joy and equanimity and the clarity of mind that are natural to us. So we were following the instructions that the Buddha gave to his son Rahula. People always say, How did the, why did the Buddha leave his family when his son had just been born. Why was he compelled to go out on this search to see to the source of human suffering and then find a path that would lead people out of suffering? Well, he was propelled by his love for his wife and his son and not wanting them to suffer. He felt he had to find an answer And what people don't consider, and Gil Gil Fronsdale, the wonderful Buddhist teacher, has pointed this out, that the Buddha was actually the primary caretaker for his son during his son's life. So his son came back to him at age seven and, and urged by his mother to ask for his inheritance. And the Buddha gave him what treasure he had, which was he ordained him and brought him into the Sangha. So from age seven... Until the Buddha died, he raised his son and raised him very well. And there are several teachings of Rahula in the Pali Canon. One at age seven, when he first became ordained, had to do with virtue, with keeping the precepts. So at age seven, Rahula told a deliberate lie and the Buddha took him aside and gave him a very graphic demonstration with with a bowl overturning the bowl and saying, you will empty out all of the, the gains, what you have gained in this practice, by telling a lie. So he emptied, emptied the bowl to show him graphically how this happened and helped his son understand to, to look at the consequences of his actions and to look ahead if he's thinking of doing something. The Buddha instructs him, if you're thinking of doing something or saying something, Think ahead about what the consequences will be. And then consider again, should you do this or say this? And then when you've done something that was unvirtuous, unwholesome, and you realize that, then learn from that. Realize that you've harmed someone. Apology. Make an apology. Make amends. And learn from it so that you don't do it again. So he didn't yell at his son for telling a lie. He didn't beat him he just sat down and gave him a very simple, straightforward lesson in why it's important to live a virtuous life, to keep the precepts. So children who have had that grounding grow up differently. It's very, very important to have some grounding in at an early age in how to live how to align our lives, how to be empathetic, how to understand what we, how what we do can harm other people and not do it again. Then in his teenage years, he, he gave him the meditation on the earth. Rahula practiced meditation like the earth. And the Buddha describes how the earth maintains its, its equanimity when things are thrown, dumped on it, like toxic waste, like urine and excrement and pus and blood. The earth accepts all of that, and actually we know now that the earth can transform much of that, given the time, given the time that the right bacteria uh, come in or evolve in order to deal with all of the stuff that's dumped into the earth. So this is a very important uh, instruction for teenagers, Because teenagers are so concerned with external appearances. And the Buddha is saying, develop your strength, your beauty inside. And things will come towards you. People will tease you, harass you. You You'll inevitably be wounded in life. But what matters is that you develop stability, solidity, equanimity, peace of mind within yourself that can't be overturned by what people do or say. And then he also gives the Rahula instruction in loving-kindness meditation and in breath meditation. So he gives his son the basic tools for finding and maintaining his own health. And then later, when he's an adult, when he's in his 20s, he gives him the teachings, the graduated teachings on non-self. And Rahula becomes an Arhant. So, this is his inheritance. What an amazing inheritance. So, fear is very interesting, and fear always signals to me, ah, there's, there's some work to be done there that this idea of this constructed idea of who i am and what i need to be safe has been poked. We have the saying from the time of the depression when there was great fear similar to the fear we're feeling now because we've had sustained economic recession. It's kind of ironic in this in this country of great wealth that people are so afraid. And Roosevelt taught us, said, there is nothing to fear but fear itself, which is so true. People who are afraid will do desperate things. People who are afraid will strike out. People who are afraid will kill. So what we have to work with directly is fear. Some of you who are my age have read the book Dune, and there's a beautiful verse in there when, when there's training going on on enduring fear, working with fear. So this young man is taught this um, uh, mantra, in a way, Dharani, to say as he has to go through, endure a painful situation, which could kill him. Fear is the mind killer. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when the fear has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I think the only thing we would add to that in Zen practice is a transformed I will remain. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the killer of compassion. Fear is the killer of wisdom. Fear is the mind killer, the heart killer. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. Exactly what happened to people in the forest during the Sashin. If we can just sit still, then transformation is possible. Though so during Sashin we also... We're experiencing the physical benefits of sitting with the earth. Um, I think I mentioned this in a previous Dharma talk, but I didn't mention it during the Sashin, and some people haven't heard me talk about it, which is the benefits of of being grounded, of being earthed. So this is something that's becoming very popular now, and there are devices being sold so that you can stay indoors in the little boxes that we live in, But still be connected to the earth by a wire. (laughs) You know, it works. (laughs) I would say better to go outside and actually sit on the earth. So it's called earthing or grounding. And it's you know they they sell now sheets that you can sleep on that are woven with silver fibers, and then you can connect yourself to the earth out your window and plug it into the ground with a grounding rod. It sounds funny, but actually. The, the research is quite interesting. Or you can sit at your computer with your feet on a grounding mat. Or I have a wrist mat for myself when I'm sitting at the computer. So what happens is when our body loses contact with the earth, then our, our electrical charge changes to positive relative to the earth. And uh, free radicals are what, what, what create a lot of uh, harm in our bodies. And those are positive radicals. And they need the addition of an electron to neutralize them. So we take various vitamins to counteract the effect of of free radicals, like antioxidants, they're called. So vitamin C, vitamin E, and so on. But actually there's a huge store of antidote to free radicals. Free radicals cause breakdown in the immune system, cancer, and so on. But there's a huge store of, of... negative electrons on the surface of the Earth. Infinite, actually, and it's continually renewed. So the research is very interesting, showing that if you do have at least 20 minutes a day of actual contact with the Earth, which we did, of course, for 200,000 years of our evolution, we were in constant contact with the Earth, even wearing moccasins, electrical charge passes through sandals or moccasins, but not through plastic shoes or rubber-soled shoes. Uh, so, this was something that probably helped us stay healthy for hundreds of thousands of years, and now we have cut ourselves off from the source of that uh, a- that antidote that natural medicine so free radicals cause inflammation, and there 's more and more inf- more and more research showing that inflammation is at the basis of a lot of our diseases like heart disease is basically inflammation and then plaque finds the areas of inflammation and Sets, sets, sets itself up in our arteries and so on. So electrons are good for us. And I mentioned last time I talked about earthing that I became interested in this because I used to do acupuncture. And in acupuncture you become aware that there are electrical currents flowing through the body and if those get disrupted then you get sick. You want to restore the flow of those, those electrons through the, through the body And that there was research a long time ago showing that when salamanders' toes are cut off, they maintain a negative electrical charge at the end of the amputated digits until they regrow new ones, and then the charge changes. But mammals, if their toes are amputated or fingers are amputated, immediately the charge at the end goes to positive. And there was some research showing with mice that if you amputate digits and keep the electrical charge negative, they can re- regrow amputated digits. So this, this new this research really fits in with some many other pieces of research about the importance of this uh, electrical charge in our body. So the, the studies uh, started out with studies on insomnia, people who couldn't sleep well, but found that they could sleep well if they were in contact with the earth. And then there, were, there was actual research done on this with quite significant results. In terms of the benefits on sleep, and then more research showing benefits for headaches asthma uh, immune system augmented if we're in contact with the earth at least twenty minutes a day and then uh, also blood blood thinning so everybody these days takes aspirin right to thin their blood but there's some natural uh, anticoagulant effects of of being in contact with this flow of electrons from, from the earth. So I recommend trying that out for yourself. There's a One, one doctor wrote a review in the, online saying, what is all this stuff about earthing and grounding? And then he looked up the research and was impressed with the research. And then he had a, an ankle which wouldn't heal, which he had sprained and wouldn't completely heal. And so he thought, well, I'll try it myself. And his personal testimony is within two days, his ankle quit hurting. Two days, 20 minutes a day on on the earth. So try it. It's worth a try. It's very simple. And it makes sense because we grew up in the natural environment in constant contact with the earth, with trees, with all of the beings that emerge from the earth. And we just recently in our evolution have we cut ourselves off from contact with that. And all of us could tell the difference sitting in the Zendo at night or going outside in the woods at night. Big change in our level of alertness. So refreshing to go sit outside. So we looked at uh, that aspect, the physical aspect, or experienced the physical aspects of benefits of being out of doors. Uh, We also listened while we were out of doors. It's, At night here, people often say, oh, it's so peaceful and quiet here at night. I think those are people who haven't sat outside at night. (laughs) There's a lot going on at night outside. (laughs) Um, But when we listen to what's going on, whether it's the neighbors over there having a party or yelling at their dogs, or it's the coyotes around there howling, or it's some little creature in the soil going, or something up in the tree making some unearthly noise. I don't know what that was. I, maybe a baby owl. I don't know. If we listen to all of these sounds as music, as very interesting avant-garde music, then we begin to come in, in, in touch with what Dogenzenji said. Only insentient beings hear the sermons of insentient beings. Sermons that are being preached all the time for us. Beautiful songs being sung for us. Beautiful music. But we have to become as sentient beings. We have to join them before we can hear their voices well. And joining them means withdrawing this constant production of thought. Becoming receptive instead of productive of thought. Becoming receptive, totally receptive. The other thing that I think is remarkable, uh, and I keep touching in with on when we do grasses and trees, Sashin, is the power of the life force. So, those who are working in the garden and weeding, the power of the life force is just stunning. So, we have to be really careful. This is an analogy for our practice. When we're weeding in the garden, The temptation is, well, just rip off the tops of those weeds. But that doesn't work. I mean, they're called weeds for a good reason. They are obstreperous, they are obstinate, and they will grow back. So we have to dig down and get all the roots out. Same in our practice. We can't just come and sit for a little while and, oh, now I feel better, I feel better temporarily for 20 minutes or an hour or two hours. We have to do the practice that digs down deep into the roots of our suffering and helps dig them out. So the life force is quite quite amazing. Um, Some of you who are here went with us on the Jesus for Peace pilgrimage on the 60th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki when we took our goal was to take one jizal image for every person killed in those two bombings, which happened in August, August 6th and August 9th. That's why we do now do the, the 24-hour chant for peace in August. So that was, we needed about 140,000, sorry no, 270,000. We needed 270,000 Jizos for all the people who were killed or died in, within the first year from the effects of the bombing. And because people contributed Jesus from all over the world, we had about 400,000 that we took and gave away and had in a museum exhibit and so on. But while we were in Nagasaki, we were shown uh, a place which was in, in the epicenter, in the first in the kilometer around where the bomb exploded. The bomb exploded in the air, but then had this, this area of devastation where it, everything was destroyed. It looked like all life was destroyed in the in the one kilometer radius around the epicenter, and there are photographs showing everything blown apart, including cathedrals and shrines. The Catholic cathedral was destroyed, and all the people who were at mass. So it was indiscriminate, as as one commenter said. There was no discrimination given between the creations of mankind and the creations of Mother Earth. All destroyed. But a couple of things remained in the epicenter, which have been preserved to this day and are still there. There was a, a tori gate, a Shinto tori gate, and it, one leg was blown off, but it stood on one leg, and it's still there. It's a tori gate standing on one, one leg. And then two camphor trees that, there were, that there were, were 500 years old so in, in America, we think, oh, something is 50 years old. That's really old. That's an antique. Or you see stuff on eBay, vintage, like 20 years old is vintage. But in Japan, when they say old, they mean old. They mean old. this was These trees were 500 years old, both of them. And their tops were blown off uh, by the bomb. but And the prediction was nothing would grow. Some people predicted nothing would grow for 100 years in that contaminated area. But the very next spring, leaves came on these camphor trees, and they still survive. And so they're preserved there as testimony to how powerful the life force is. And the seeds are sent from those trees all around the world. Uh, and they're growing healthy, healthily throughout Japan and all around the world. As a reminder of how strong our life force is and as one person said, a testament to the hope that peace can triumph over war, that our instinct for creating peace and our ability to create peace within ourselves can triumph over all of the forces that push us away from that. And then recently there's a a very interesting survivor tree. These are called survivor trees. There's a survivor tree at 9-11, at the site of 9-11. And uh, this is a one-person story of visiting it. The tree itself has an uplifting story. Planted at the eastern edge of the original World Trade Center Plaza in the 1970s, workers found it damaged and reduced to an eight-foot-tall stump in the wreckage of Ground Zero. It was moved to a park and nurtured back to health, and it's now 30 feet strong and has been returned to the World Trade Center site. It's a a pear tree. I was particularly struck by its anonymity as I stood next to it because it's surrounded by oaks. It saw close up the worst, one of the worst scenes that's ever unfolded on our shores, been covered in whitish dust made of concrete and paper and human remains, and been uprooted by devastated rescue workers beyond thrill to find something that had not perished at the hands of incomprehensible madmen. It has been nur- nursed, nursed back to a thriving state, surrounding, surrounded by gleaming structures rising into the sky. Every day it sees thousands of etched names of people who woke up and went to work on a gorgeously sunny day and never went home. It sees visitors from New York City and Kansas City and Paris and Tokyo pausing posing, crying, remembering, letting the realization of the volume of names hit them as they begin, walking around the reflecting pool and start reading, walking, reading, walking, reading and walking some more. It's like the names never end and the sadness and disbelief escalate. And then a little spray of water comes up from the pool in the midst of reality. The tree is there growing next to this, growing. Growing next to this growing it dawns on me that it's not so much about what the tree saw or sees but what it continues to be alive unwittingly it blossoms and sheds and blossoms again two fallen skyscrapers didn't kill it nor a move nor another move Hurricane Irene didn't ground it we are meant to marvel at its endurance so we can check in on our own If it can withstand all that, surely we can stand tall in our own lives. So we have these beautiful symbols of hope in the midst of incomprehensible acts of cruelty. And we ourselves have to become those symbols of hope, nurturing hope within us. The experiences that we have in the woods are almost indescribable in words. And when they emerge into into words, the words don't really do them justice. We talk in Zen about um, a truth beyond words. A truth beyond words. There are special kinds of words that point directly to the truth and lead us back to the truth, and those words are called Poetry. So really good poetry takes us right back to the experience the poet had. So rather than obscuring, as most words do, poetry leads us in. So I'd like to finish by reading some poetry. During this Sashin I read a poem by Hafiz, the Sufi mystic. Just sit there right now. Don't do a thing. Just rest. For your separation from God, from love, is the hardest work in this world. Just sit there. Right now, don't do a thing. Just rest. For your separation from God, from love, is the hardest work in this world. me, this is the essence of all spiritual practice, is ending that separation, bringing us back into unity with our true nature, with the nature of the world, with God. A few poems from Mary Oliver relevant to this session. This one's called 5 AM in the Pine Woods, for those who saw the Dear, you'll like this one. I've seen their hoofprints in the deep needles and knew they ended the long night under the pines, walking like two mute and beautiful women towards the deeper woods. So I got up in the dark and went there. They came slowly down the hill and looked at me, sitting under the blue trees. Shyly, they stepped closer and stared from under their thick lashes and even nibbled some deep tassels of weeds. This is not a poem about a dream, though it could be. This is a poem about the world that is ours, or could be. Finally, one of them, I swear it, would have come into my arms, but the other stamped sharp hoof in the pine needles like the tap of sanity, and they went off together through the trees. When I woke... I was alone. Sleeping in the Forest. I thought the earth remembered me. She took me back so tenderly, arranging her dark skirts, her pockets full of lichens and seeds. I slept as never before, a stone on the riverbed, nothing between me and the white fire of the stars, but my thoughts and they floated light as moths among the branches of the perfect trees. All night I heard the small kingdoms breathing around me, the insects and the birds who do their work in the darkness. All night I rose and fell as if in water, grappling with a luminous doom. By morning I had vanished at least a dozen times, into something better. Again from Mary Oliver, when I am among the trees, the trees have so much wisdom. But we have to listen, and to listen we have to stop thinking. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir to their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches, and they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. All around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches. And they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this. To go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. I'll finish with a couple of poems from Hafiz. I want both of us to start talking about this great love as if you, I, and the sun were all married and living in a tiny room, helping each other to cook, do the wash, weave and sew, care for our beautiful animals. We all leave each morning to labor in the earth's field. No one does not lift a great pack. I want both of us to start singing like two traveling minstrels about this extraordinary existence we share as if you and I and God were all married and living in a tiny room. Thinking of the benefits of our practice, this is Hafiz's version. (laughs) It's called, If You Don't Stop That. I used to live in a cramped house with confusion and pain. But then I met the friend, with a capital F, and started getting drunk and singing all night, we could add, and roaming around the forest. Confusion and pain started acting nasty, making threats with talk like this. If you don't stop that, all that fun, we're leaving. So I hope you had fun during this session. I hope you had fun so that confusion and pain started getting grumpy and thinking about leaving.